0: That particular day, beautiful sunny day, and I wore a Care Bear onesie.
1: Welcome to episode four. Um, I'm your host, Kev. This week's episode is a two-parter, so uh, stay tuned for the second part next week. As before, if you're enjoying the podcast, leave a rating. Uh, any questions or suggestions, please leave a comment below. So without further ado, this is my mate, Matt. Matt, thank you very much for uh, for joining me and uh, tag.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure, Kev. It's been, what, two, three weeks of phone tag <laughs> through various <laughs> stages of shift work. Hilarious.
1: Ah, uh, yes, yeah. You, you, you remember the trials and tribulations of, uh, of shift work and having to juggle a primary job and all that sort of stuff? Absolutely,
0: yeah. It was, uh, it was several weeks of, uh, at, at the most inappropriate time, uh, I would notice your name come up on the screen. I'd be like, well, I can't talk to you now either, and <laughs> then I think I'd return the face later.
1: <laughs> either I'd be, I'd be asleep or um, something would be happening at work. I'd sort of look at it and go fuck <laughs> yeah it's not gonna happen today <laughs> anyways how are you man how's how's things things
0: are going very well actually i'm uh very much enjoying the current time and enjoying a bit of a change of pace and um and some new activities in my life
1: oh, very. so things good. are going well it'd be uh it'd be ridiculously cold on your way at the moment
0: uh yeah it's not too bad um when you live in the snow mountains, you sort of get used to a little bit cold weather. Um, you'd have a bit of a laugh, I'm thinking, "Oh, here we go—the power will go out shortly." There's a—it's um, snowing in the mountains, and there's a thunderstorm at the same time. So, um, excellent, good times. Laugh when it would pop up on the um, occasionally on your phone with the weather prediction for the day and say thunder snow, and I'd be, always wondered what thunder snow was, but it's a real thing—you know, a thunderstorm that produces snow. So. That's happening outside right now.
1: I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you; I've never seen the prediction of thunder snow. That is actually that is actually something new for me. So, uh, very good. Um, we got a blizzard warning for Saturday, man. It's um, predicted heavy heavy snow and thirty five kilometre hour winds.
0: Oh, that's because you yeah you're going to love that where you live. Oh. <laughs> it's uh, it is the way. There's some um, there's some significant cold weather coming, and it uh, yeah it looks like it's going to track right up through the hinterland and. Up past the back of the Blue Mountains, and um, they're talking potentially all the way up to Queensland if there's
1: enough moisture up there. Yeah, well, they were saying snow down to 550, so which is bloody low. That's um, I, I think that, that yep. encompasses most of the um, most of the Blue Mountains. I
0: know, I know you're not sold on the snow, but you know, <laughs> it's still you gotta, you gotta take that that uh, weather novelty when you can. It's sort of a, <laughs> It's not really supposed to snow here in Australia and it does so you've got to just enjoy it when it happens
1: <laughs> look I've, I've probably got a very jaded jaded view on snow in general wholly and solely because I look I, I still don't believe the stuff that we get here is like is is proper snow like it it snows it sometimes settles and one of two things will happen it'll either melt really really quickly and just turn into sludge or it'll get even colder and turn to ice and both of those are just unpleasant <laughs> I'd, I'd like to know what your definition of actual snow is well just something that sort of hangs around something that you can actually get out and enjoy and unfortunately most of the time uh, when it snows here we we're stuck out in it we're um we're, we're working out and it's, it's not very pleasant either that or we're um we're chasing tourists around the the countryside because they i don't know if you know man i don't know if you've had this at at, uh, at jindy but um we've got we've got tourists. Come out here from the city with their box trailers, and they literally stop in the middle of the road, shovel a sho- shovel a whole box trailer full of snow, and drive it back to Sydney to show the kids.
0: Uh yeah, they they do that here. They do go up into the mountains and um, bring snow back into town from time to time to build jumps. <laughs> uh, I've seen a few loads of snow come down the hill from time to time. It's it's definitely a novelty. Like this, this whole town exists because of it. So, ah, yes. It's, uh, you know the we get to see all the weird and wonderful um you know walks of life down here that love to come down because the white stuff tends to stick around in the mountains and people like to recreate on it so you
1: know it's uh you just you just gotta smile and enjoy it <laughs> yeah i should probably stop being an old cranky bastard about it so well, um, well
0: i i think uh there was a one of my ex colleagues, good friend of mine who uh, lives over in Utah, over in the US, uh, he used to always say to me, He goes, Matt, there's no such thing as bad weather, just inappropriate clothing.
1: <laughs> that is very true. That is very, very I'm true. Sure, I'm
0: not sure if he actually came up with that, but
1: I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna let him claim it. Uh, very good. So, Matt, uh, who are you, man? Well, who am I? So to today I'm on a
0: uh, what, we, what am I today? It's a good question. Um, I've had a few different roles over the years. Um, at the moment, I'm really loving life. I've I started a new role as a full-time firefighter.
1: Congratulations, my, man.
0: Uh, my, Thanks, mate. Yeah, it's been a it's been a, a few years in the making that one. Um, as many people who sort of finally bust through that uh, that little barrier that exists there. That um, you know, it's a it's a very very coveted job that one and I'm, I'm very thankful that I was I managed to make my way in into that role um, so currently on some data.
1: I'd be lying if I said that uh, I wasn't slightly jealous of the uh, of, of the primary employment being the uh, the, the coveted job
0: yeah it's, uh, it's I mean it's certainly got some um, some 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 great positives about it that you know, a lot of people would really love to have in their primary employment. I think uh, you know, I get to go and do some things that um, are pretty amazing and I'm fairly thankful that every single day I get the opportunity to go and go and do interesting things and be able to help people when they when they call for assistance. It's um it's a pretty privileged life. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more.
1: So yeah. So what else are you up to at the moment? Uh, I'm just um well, I'm actually on some
0: days off. So I'm pretty lucky I get a few few days off yep. um in my roster cycle being a shift worker. Um so I just tidied up some paperwork, actually do a little bit of um, training work. So I used to, my last full-time role was actually doing a lot of uh, training facilitation for a range of uh, range of people. Um, so I assisted on a program last week on a couple of my days off to help out a local company with their uh, remote area first aid. Um, used to have a – my background was in medical response, so I did a lot of, uh, a lot of ski patrolling. Um, so basically again you know I used to think I had the best job um, I still think I have the best job but <laughs> my biggest, the best job ever was uh, I actually got paid to uh, work in ski resorts um, basically going around looking after people and being on call for when they had a if they had a bit of a, an oops moment or decided to have a closer look at the terrain or something. <laughs> uh occasionally you know skiing around with a backpack full of explosives and going hunting avalanches um you know I used to to get paid for that which I I always thought was a little bit of a lurk um I used to do that for quite a quite a while so I uh I sort of traded one one glorified existence for another um so I still bring that skill set back into into play from time to time and uh to help teach people medical skills and uh, first aid and emergency response kind of uh, training.
1: Very, very cool. So apart from being a, uh, a full-time firefighter, um, you're also quite a talented photographer.
0: I'll say it's a, it is a shared passion um, between the two of us, the photography. Um, certainly like to walk the earth with a bag full of lenses and a couple of cameras in tow pretty much everywhere I go. Uh, taking the opportunity to capture the world around us and the people and some of the awesome landscapes we end up in from time to time.
1: How long have you been into photography for? Uh,
0: to be honest, I'd say I'd have to think back. I'm I'm actually looking at the photographs on my wall. Of uh, I, keep, I keep adding to them. Um, and there's one that I'm looking at from when I first started working over in the US in 2002. Nice. 2001. 2002, and that's actually when my interest in photography started. I was um, I was the proud owner of a Canon film SLR, nice, an old EOS 300, which I still have. Um, I bought it duty free in the airport on my way over. I'm pretty sure that camera cost me like $800, <laughs> nearly 20, years ago. and I shot loads of film through that thing and sort of like oh man i took so many bad photos it was ridiculous and, <laughs> and that wasn't an, you know it's an expensive hobby when you have to go and get those things processed um that's with the right. invention of the uh of the digital slr i was um i was i was set i'm thinking you beauty i could take as many photos as i like now and all it's going to cost me is uh, a few more memory cards
1: <laughs> and time to, to sort through them and process them.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's been, you know, I like many photographers. I, I took some just loads of incredibly bad photos and got the odd good one. And over the time I've sort of learned to learn to take less photos, but take higher quality, mm. higher quality images. Um, and just worked, worked my way through it. Now, now it's something of a, Something of a passion, and something that I, you know, get a get a little bit of income from from time to time, selling prints and helping people out with websites and little projects here and there when I can when I can find the time. Uh, um, very, very cool. But at the end of the day, it's still it's the thing I do to go and escape the world. To be honest, yeah. um, I like to I like to throw that camera backpack on and just sort of disappear for a couple of hours and just go and see what I can find. And it's always funny how the images that come back are always reminiscent of how I was feeling at the time.
1: Mm, it's funny how that happens. Mm. It is definitely funny how that happens. Um, I um, I I was looking back at um, at my Lightroom library as well because I um, I've, I've kept absolutely everything. And my first Lightroom images that I had on there was from twenty ten. Mm-hmm. Um, my first camera was uh, my first like owned serious camera was a, um, a four, 400 D a Canon 400 D. Um, yeah. And, uh, at, at the time, um, cameras went hand in hand with cars and I was, I was fairly heavily into the, into the car scene back then. And so yeah, car portraits and, uh, yeah, long exposures in car parks with, uh, backlit cars and you know the, the the nice starlight effects and all that sort of stuff and yeah it was it was lots Excellent. of good stuff but um, I think
0: uh, I think we we probably have a very similar um, early photo album in that realm. <laughs> I, I used to do the same thing and I think um, much like you, I, I, was, I was listening to your previous guest and having a bit of a laugh when he kept giving you a bit of grief about owning a Corolla or two. <laughs> Yeah, I used to own a Corolla or two and I've got some photographs of those cars. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, quite, it's quite funny that, um, that I, was, I was certainly, I was actually giggling in the car when I, I was listening to that the other
1: <laughs> week. So, so Brendan, note so, so technically, yes, I did own Corollas. Um, I, I'd like to, for the record, sir, I would like to say that they were uh, AE86s. Um, so te- te- technically Corollas, and Brendan knows how exactly how to shit Sturby Because al- although again, it-, it is very very true, they are Corollas. Um, I-, I think A eighty six owners have a have a slight eye twitch when people call them Corollas. Ah uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I was
0: never that um, uh, never that lucky to own one. Mine mine were more uh, you know the AE. I used to own an AE eighty two, which was the biggest crap. Box on wheels you've ever seen.
1: <laughs> was it a twin cam uh, A eighty two? No, it was not. Well, you know that's that that probably had something to do with it.
0: It had a, it had a, a, a like a stonking four AC one point six liter in AC. It. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. was really good fuel economy until I um I ran out of fuel one day on the Hume Highway when my fuel gauge got stuck. <laughs> I uh, had a lovely very early morning walk back to one of the servos near
1: Marulan and <laughs> five o'clock in the morning. Ah, good times. Yes. I think, uh, I, 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 I think we've all, all been there at one stage or another. So. Oh, you, you,
0: you know, anybody that's sort of been into cars has probably had that experience. And I'm sure
1: plenty of people that are not into cars have had that experience. <laughs> Matt, how, what's our history? How do I know you?
0: Well, uh, probably, couple of different ways but it's quite funny we're like uh, we're like twins in a lot of ways I I realized that we have a lot of the same interests and we're both uh we're both fireys and we actually met each other formally through the fireys climb. that's couple right of years.
1: yep
0: that was our formal introduction and then we found out also that we actually have a lot of mutual <laughs>
1: family, friends. It's a very small world like that. It is a ridiculously Uh, small world. And look, same, same with our mutual friend of Jim. Um, I don't know, like we, we sort of grew up in the same area and I I don't know how we never crossed paths, but um, yeah. So we, we, we formally met through, well, your previous employer, my current employer and, uh, and, and through a charity that, um, that I managed at the time. Um, But um, I mean, I, I'd seen you and and I've I'd heard of you before that um, wholly and solely because you were quite um, uh, quite proactive in the social media scene to do with your um, your station's page as well, which was fantastic. Um, I mean, look at 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 the time there was probably three or four stations that were very proactive uh, and very very professional with their. um, with how they approach social media, definitely uh, your station and uh, Captain Cupcake station was was definitely <laughs> was definitely uh, always really really good. But um, yeah, was, I mean, it
0: was quite a level scene actually. There was uh, in those early those early adopters of that um, social media realm for those fire stations. Yep. Um, you're right. Was, there was only a handful that were sort of having a really good crack at it and trying to be. Both a proactive and and be really trying to be promoting a professional image um, within the community and to sort of get that message out there. And yeah, you're right. There was it actually became a little bit of a uh, almost a, a competition to see who <laughs> went up the next page at some point. I'm like, oh, these guys have done really well. I'm, I was just walking around, you know, thinking, okay, how can I, how can I get a, a post that they're going to go, oh,
1: (laughs) I've done it again. Were you ever discouraged or um, any of your um, firefighters or anyone above overly critical about your social media usage before it became the done thing, I suppose? Uh,
0: There was a couple of people that were not not incredibly supportive of it. Um, I found the most resistance that I would get from... Uh, from other fireys, were people that weren't particular particular fans of social media. Sure. Uh, um, and I under, I do understand that. Like I, I find social media a very interesting beast with regards to um, how people interact with it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I used to get quite frustrated with with certain aspects of it from time to time. But the overriding thing that I would use to sort of encourage people to allow it to happen was to have them think about it and go well if you say nothing people will make up whatever it is they like that's right uh you provide them with information that is both a useful and b interesting to them they will engage with it and people start to they almost they, they start to support you in a way and they'll go if someone comes along and tries to say something that's not so great um you usually find that the people that are following you in is, and supporting you um but they go into bat for you yeah start to uh they start to support what you're doing um they talk about it in the, in the right tones um you know and the individuals that didn't particularly like it you know i was just mindful to you know there was a couple of fires on the station that weren't keen on it and that's that's completely fine um the support from above was actually was actually pretty good. My uh, my captain was very supportive of it. Uh, being a we found especially being a, a small active community, the more information that we provided, the better.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, because there's a very there's a really really active community down here. So if we were providing the information, that's where they'd go to get the details that they that they wanted to know. We were very careful about what we provided to them. Sure. But we sort of we quashed the rumours as quickly as we possibly could by mm. providing a simple, accurate description of what happened, without without um, details, of course, that would identify people or um, or businesses and those sort of things. Um, but at the end of the day, if you know if something's going on right in the middle of town, everybody knows about it. That's right. Um, and they like to hear that. Or well, a when they when they have a bad day that they do have a, you know, a professional team that's going to come and look after them and, and B, that those people are not going to go out and talk about them. They're just going to say, Hey, this, this is what happened. Um, This is how this was resolved. And here's the safety message behind it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. People
0: are appreciative of it. So I I had a pretty good experience with, with all of that. Um, I did find it from time to time. I found it um, to be hard work. Uh, but predominantly, it was something I enjoyed because it was also an avenue for, um, you know, to provide some sort of insight into a world that people don't see all that often by, you know, taking photos
1: and, and sharing them as well. I definitely agree with you. Um, providing providing the community with the appropriate level of information, you know, like you said, um, in, in a small community, um, everyone knows what's going on anyway. And, you know, squash your rumors straight up and, you know, give the uh, give give the accurate information while still being um, still uh, sp- still respecting people's privacy and all that sort of stuff. And it's it, it is a, definitely a um, a different mentality to um, say the the more metro areas um, where the, the the community doesn't necessarily know each other as well. Um, yep. And you know um, everyone everyone's quite happy just to go about their lives, whereas. You know, in in a in a small town like Oberon, it's um you know, town of you know twenty five hundred or something like that. Um, yeah. So everyone, everyone, everyone's going to know what's going on. So for sure.
0: Too, like, and I was going to ask you about this, Kev, because something <coughs> that uh, was very prevalent on the page that you're looking after was the focus on the the team itself. Yeah. The people, the people that are behind it. So the sort of individualizing it a little bit, but. Uh, humanizing the whole thing as well. So people could engage with it on that level.
1: It's a job that I'm proud of. And I'm extremely proud of of the the fellow firefighters at my station as well. So I mean, look, there's it, it's it is a combination of things. I, I'm at a, a at a very quiet station. So, you know, it's not constant um, posts about incidents and stuff like that. So there's, there's a lot of safety messages that, that go out. There's a lot of recruitment messages that go out. But yeah just uh you know talking about our fellow firefighters at the station and more so what we do and how we manage you know um being uh being a firefighter because for for us obviously it's it's not a um it's not a full-time job so we still have primary employment and a lot of us have families and young families to go with it and all that sort of stuff so
0: exactly it's uh uh that's it's something i actually Enjoyed. I, I did end up finishing my uh, employment as an encore firefighter here because I my my commitment had to change just with regards to my job. Just mm-hmm. being you know av- availability wise was my biggest concern because uh, it's a it's a big you know as you know all too well like it's, it's it can take a big toll on your life in general being on in a small town you know twenty four seven. But it's also something that yeah, there's a lot of people that really love to do it. And I, I was one of those people. I, you know, I really enjoyed sort of going to help my community and I still get the opportunity to do that in other roles, but it's a, I mean, it is a privilege. Um, it's a big responsibility, but it's also something that, you know, you sort of can't take half-heartedly and you know, being, being away from Uh, From my home for you know a little bit more than half the week was always going to be a bit of a challenge. So I decided to say, hey, give someone else the opportunity. Um, And it was a hard decision to make, but because you know the biggest thing you get out of a team like that is you are working very close to home with people who are there for all the same reasons. You know they're there to help out the people that they live and work with.
1: That's right. And
0: uh, you know sharing their stories, I thought, was always a a real privilege and. I've seen it on the photos that you take. You know, some of those wonderful ones where you've got, uh, you know, some of your uh, fellow fellow fireys on your crew, where you sort of captured them in the moment or um, taken those taken those portrait style photos to sort of share with the world to say, "Hey, these are the people. These are the people behind the uniform."
1: Mm. Yeah, really
0: appreciate that.
1: It's. uh, I I don't. I I really hope um, other stations sort of adopt it as well. Um, We. We were pretty good with the social media stuff. Um, I, I didn't get much um, much criticism from um, from the fellow firefighters at the station. There was there was maybe one or two. There was a few comments here and there. But to be honest, there it was it was very much a live and let live. Like oh, I wasn't wasn't breaking any rules and I wasn't hurting anyone and all that sort of stuff. And it was I, I found that the social media as well has, has been fairly key to our, our recruitment. It it did go quiet for a while there, but I'm I'm glad that we didn't close the page down, and it sort of evolved, and it's um it's it's really really good to see that um, the organisation as a whole, statewide, has um has really um up their up their social media game, because I mean that's I mean that's 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 where the world's going, uh, or has gone already. So you know it, it'd be um, it'd be I don't know ignorant to sort of poo-poo still on social media and try and go their own way i mean it's it's um i i don't think it's the root of all evil but it definitely has its uh has its negative points but if you use it for positive and you know watch what you do and say and all that sort of stuff on it then um you know use it as a use it as a business tool use it as an advertising and promotion tool yeah
0: absolutely it's um it's a it's an interesting experience that we live in now where you know, public service organisations, public safety organisations need to essentially advertise a little bit like a corporation. Um, right. You know, the world has changed in that regard. It used to just be a given that, hey, this, what this, this is what these people do. Um, no questions ever get asked. And now it's a, you know, it's something that they feel, you know, feel the need to express the, you know, express the gratitude, express the messages, like to get that, Get that point of view out because if you're not saying it, someone else will.
1: That's right. That's it.
0: And yeah, it's a it's a different world that we live
1: in. Absolutely. It's <laughs> so.
0: certainly different to what we grew up in. That's it.
1: Speaking of growing up, um, you and I went to – and I, I was trying to rack my brain because I, I know that our, our past did crisscross and you and I are about the same age as well. Did you, did you go to school in the Blue Mountains?
0: I didn't actually. Okay. I, uh, I grew up in Queensland. Right. Uh, what... So that would not have crossed uh, when we were younger,
1: I'm sure. <laughs> okay. So what what year did you actually move to New South Wales? And uh, I'm assuming around the Blue Mountains.
0: I did a lot of um, did a lot of back and forth winters between Australia and the US, and I started doing that in 2001. Okay. So 19 years ago, and I met a
1: mutual friend of ours
0: <laughs> mutual family friend, so my partner
1: are, are we allowed to say your name has have, have, have you been given permission to give her name out I didn't ask <laughs> okay oh uh, well I could, you know, I could my so my lovely
0: partner Liz who I've known now for I think we were talking about this just the other day actually with our friends um, we've known Liz since 2004 so 16 years mm-hmm. and we've been um, Matt and Liz since sort of the start of 2005, right. so about 15 years or more, 15 and a half years yep. we've been together. Um, Liz is from the Blue Mountains, so uh, we actually would bounce back and forth together between, uh, between ski seasons when we are both ski patrolling. So I would sort of frequent back at the Blue Mountains, and when we stopped doing the, the back-to-back winters full-time about uh, eight, nine years ago, I actually moved up to the mountains mm-hmm. with liz um and we have yeah we we sort of lived up in um up in lawson yep. which is just in the road from where you grew up in Bullaburra <laughs> yes <laughs> and it turns out you know the whole uh, it's a very small world uh your parents and liz's parents and all the brigade, so we all sort of knew each other.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Liz and her older sister and her younger brother, yep. we we all went to school together in the Blue Mountains. We we literally grew up together. Um, so none of us were all in the same year though. I think Liz was a year above. I think. Yeah, I think so. Yep. Um, and then Amanda was um, Amanda That's was finishing as I was starting high school. I'm pretty sure. Um, and then um, Liz's brother, I remember him from primary school. And then I think by the time I was, I think he was maybe a year older than my younger brother. Yeah.
0: Something of that would be about, right? Yeah.
1: So if, if you're in the Blue Mountains in 05, I had probably, by that stage, I had probably moved down to Sydney.
0: Yep. Yeah, no, we missed each other
1: up there.
0: I didn't actually join um, that organization till about 2012.
1: Okay. And was that in the Blue Mountains as well?
0: Um, No, it was actually in, of all places, near you, out near Orange. Right. Okay. I I used to have another job. So when one of my previous jobs, I actually used to work out that way, um, doing emergency response. I had a mine site out that way, Mm -hmm. out near Orange, and um, part of that was the. This is sort of my introduction to firefighting. To be honest with you, I. the mine mining lease was quite large and covered the bulk of a, a brigade area yep so one of our one of the things that we used to do was we still take care of um an appliance for that brigade and and would help out help out where required so we had a good working relationship with the local community there excellent and so i joined up i joined up there and I sort of kept that membership going uh, when I moved back down to Ginderbine and well we became full time residents down here yep. sort of six six years ago so I transferred down here. Yep. Yeah, but it's a it's a very small world like that. I've <laughs> Absolutely. Always, I, yeah. I, keep meeting, I, I always meet somebody who knows somebody.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it doesn't matter where you are in the world, you always meet someone from Australia that knows someone else. And yes, yeah, no, I've I've heard I, stories as well. Do you think the
0: you know if you think the firefighting community is small try the the ski resort industry is like crazy small <laughs> you know, i used to run into the same people at the airport around about the same time of the year going over <laughs> to do the same thing that i was doing and we we'd all be lined up at the us consulate every you know every sort of november trying to get our visas and it was the same people i kept running into the same you know same few people every single year and it became this running joke. We you know, we never worked with each other. We didn't know each other, but you'd recognize the face and you start to start to talk to these people and go, oh, you're going back. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> it's a really
1: yeah small world. So the, the the snow scene, um, did you go straight into that from high school?
0: Uh no, actually. Much like the rest of my life, I seem to bounce all over the place and then sort of find myself somewhere I didn't expect to end up. Okay. Uh, uh, I was actually, I went to school in Queensland. I was going to the Air Force, actually. It was my, that was my uh, original original plan. Um, I had a really good red-hot crack at it. Um, did pretty well doing a lot of things. So I did. Um, I was a lucky scholarship winner, like an ad for scholarship winner back in grade 11, and went back through Defence Force recruiting and got to go and do pilot like flight screening up at Tamworth. It was like it was all happening, and um actually got sick on my flight screening course got a got a crack and head cold, and um doesn't really you can't really fly upside down with a head, head cold <laughs> no <It> doesn't work <laughs> You tend to uh see stars and uh not be able to see very well <laughs> um, so yeah, sort of fronted the officer selection board that year and um was told sort of, hey, you know, come back, have another crack next year. Yep. Uh, um sort of got lost on the way to uni. I did a bit of mechanical and space engineering for a little bit. Went and worked at
1: the Brisbane Airport. Wait, for wait, a wait, year. wait, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Space engineering?
0: Yeah. Believe it or not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I got I put all of my applications
0: in for university and um I yeah, I started university in ninety ninety nine in um up in queensland up in brisbane yeah uh yeah i actually started an engineering degree of all things in mechanical and space engineering
1: holy crap
0: um yeah i was i did all right at school i wasn't too bad at that stuff but um it wasn't it didn't really capture my imagination as much as i thought it would sure um so i sort of took a break from it went hey you know what i need to get away from this um this scene a little bit. So I worked for a little while and then I thought, hey, I'll bring out my artistic side. So I went to a different university and started doing, uh, of all things, landscape architecture. <laughs> okay. Uh, so that's a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, one of my friends um, was actually going overseas on this sort of exchange program in the summer holiday so basically from sort of like December through to the end of February. Mm-hmm. And I thought, hey, that's a really cool idea. That'll, that'll get me out of you know, my current situation, um, which is not bad. I just wanted something different. Mm-hmm. Wanted to travel a little bit. And so I went and did that. And they sent me to a place called uh, The Homestead, which no one's ever heard of because it's this tiny little place in northern Michigan in the U.S., so here's this boy from Queensland that had never really dealt with winter and I got up <laughs> in the coldest of coldest places in northern Michigan towards the end of December in 2001 and I froze. <laughs> and as it turns out, I found a whole new passion, which was skiing. Um, needless to say, I didn't go back to university. <laughs> So, um, you know, I paid a few hex debts off way later when I started actually earning some money. But um, yeah, it sort of led me down this road where I did back to back winters and uh, I did roughly 19, I think I've figured it out, uh, 19 back to back winters between the US and here yep. in Australia. Um, sort of working through various jobs. I did a bit of hospitality, um, some lift operations. Uh, a you know leading hand and a lift form and overseas and then i you know i thought hey this is really cool i love this and the people that i had the most in common with were the ski patrollers these Mm -hmm. people that just they were like these larger than life characters to you know little old me that was just this um quiet skinny little white kid that just (laughs) i was i mean i call myself that because i'm like pasty You know, like I shouldn't, I don't belong in this place. Like I'm, (laughs) (laughs) and I, I was the, you know, I was the quiet, unassuming kid that just, you know, I was like quietly confident, but in these social, these big, larger than life characters in these social situations, I was just like wowed by these people. I'm like, I want to be one of these people. And so I worked my way into, into that job and I absolutely loved it. So I did that for I was a ski patroller for about fourteen winters, doing oh, that cool. full time. So I was getting I was getting paid to ski. It was it was great.
1: Was it all uh, on foot, or were you on vehicles, or was it on helos, or? So uh, predominantly on skis. Okay. So I wore
0: I wore ski boots for about roughly two hundred and twenty days of the year. Oh. Um, <laughs> and for most people, they just like, they cry when they hear that. And they're like, how? <laughs> so yeah, I just, I'd strap my ski boots on. Like people would put their shoes on going to work and just get on with it. Um, <laughs> so we would operate on skis occasionally with over snow vehicles. Um, and then yeah, overseas we'd have, uh, access to the odd helicopter or, or two to, um, help people get out of, bad spots sure we'll get them down get them down to the hospital really quickly if we needed them to yep. um but yeah predominantly on skis which was kind of like the um the redeeming the biggest redeeming feature of that job like i wasn't getting paid real well but i was getting to ski on the absolute best days of, of the season and all the worst days as well yeah which became this um i loved it like the worst it got the, the more I would laugh because I'm thinking I just gonna like this hey mother nature can't beat me kind of thing it was just um I mean I, I I had my ass handed to me a few times but you know you just sort of think well the mountain always wins and I'm just gonna sneak around and enjoy it while I can so <laughs>
1: what was one of your craziest rescues out there
0: oh I've had um I've had a few interesting ones yeah uh, not, it's funny like you ask that question um it's a little bit like the whole you know what's the worst day you've ever had sort of question um and i have so you know i have jobs that i remember quite vividly because they they left an indelible mark on my um typically on my emotions more than anything else um obviously you know it's a sort of kind of the kind of sport where you know the large majority of people have a very very good time and the odd few have a really, really bad time. Yeah. Um, so I've sort of um, over the years had some interesting incidents, um, had some ones that people that have just absolutely made me laugh, you know, thinking, um, you know, can this situation get any worse? And then the person that you're there is that you're rescuing is actually uh, like giggling because they're enjoying <laughs> the it. You know, like, oh, this, is, this is fun. Yeah. Um, trying to think one of them actually you'll you'll enjoy this I I used to like to enjoy my job um to the point where one day I actually wore a I was working on a snowmobile so I was like the transport driver that day if you think of it that way Mm -hmm. so people would go and pick others up um with their toboggans and they'd end up in these flat areas so I'd go and pick them up with a snowmobile and a trailer bring them up to a central point and that particular day, beautiful sunny day, and I wore a Care Bear onesie.
1: <laughs> of course, you did. <laughs> With my uh,
0: my patrol vest over the top of it, so I was still recognisable. <laughs> <laughs> um, which was really funny. Like all the kids were waving off the chairlifts, and I was having a good old time, you know, smiling and waving to kids, and you know, odd parent that just thought it was the funniest thing ever, and. I didn't actually give um, full thought to what, you know, what could happen with me dressed like that. Um, and it turns out I had to go down and pick up a um, sort of middle-aged lady who had a head injury. And one of the more common uh, things that can occur when you have a head injury is the like typically the first thing people forget after they've had a good head knock is what happened. Yeah, they forget, they forget the incident. <laughs> um, if you get, if it goes even worse, you tend to forget things like the day, the time. And if you really hit your head hard, you can, you can even forget your own name,
1: yeah.
0: um, which is, you know, it's funny for about 20 seconds when you see it. And then you go, Oh, this is not good. Yeah. You know, they've rung their bell. Um, so I've had two, you know, the most memorable ones that make you sort of, uh, laugh a bit of the head injuries, as long as you know, they come good later. Yeah. Um, so this, one of these was me rolling up and I was wearing my Care Bear onesie <laughs> and first of all, I would always go up and introduce myself to the casualty.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, Hello, my name's Matt. I'm going to help. I'm here to help you. You know, uh, you know, this person has been looking after you, um, I'm going to get you up to, you know, wherever we're going. Um, you have any questions or, you know, how you feel? And, this lady stared at me like she had no idea who I was. Chips <laughs> looked on her face like, what's going on? Like, what is there a care bear? <laughs> and I just, I'd forgotten at that point because I'd, I'd sort of put my game face on, saying, hey, this lady's having a bad day, and um, I'd forgotten that I was wearing it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Kind of got her attention a little bit, but, um, yeah, that was, I always remember that. And it was actually another, uh, guy that poor guy had, um, he'd gone flying. Like we got multiple reports of this gentleman, um, like flying and tumbling through the air before he hit the ground. And it's usually a bad sign that when, you know, 10 people call up to tell you the same thing. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit like everyone in town calling you to say, "Hey, there's a house on fire." Yep. You kind of know it's happening. Um, so this was one of those jobs. did down there, and uh, this guy was, you know, literally laid out on his back. And another common feature of, um, you know, certain head injuries is repetitive questioning. Yep. Have uh, Have you ever encountered it?
1: Me personally? Yeah. Yes. Yes, I have. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it's all how um, did you find experience uh, it was it, it actually took me a few a few goes to um, to realize what was going on because um, you don't you don't it, it sort of doesn't register with you the first couple of times like someone will ask you know where am I it's like look you've, you've had a you've, you've had a car accident you know you're okay you're being treated and you know you're, you're, you're going to be safe and all that sort of stuff and then you, you continue working or you continue you know, supervising or whatever you're doing. And then you get asked the same question again. And you, you just off off, um, just automatically you sort of just answer it again. Um, it, yep. it isn't until about the third time and you, you suddenly, like you pay, a, you suddenly pay a lot of attention to like anything that's coming out of this poor person's mouth because, um, as you're looking at, for the thing. well, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's right. As, as you know, um, you know, suddenly you're, um, suddenly they're, they're they're re-asking the same questions. Um, you know, and mm. um, every yeah, everything that's coming out of their mouth is is a is a telltale marker of you know what what's going on inside their head.
0: This was um this was one of those jobs. It was the same five questions in a repetitive loop. Right. So The old goldfish swimming around the bowl, going, "Ooh, look at that! Yeah. Ooh, look at that! Yep." and it was you know this poor guy had um, rung his belt pretty hard Uh, he'd had a period of unconsciousness before I got there and when I did get there he was sort of uh, in this state of staring up at the sky going I'm not really sure what just happened and why I am where I am and I come over the top the first thing he saw aside from the blue sky was my head popping over the top of his and I'm going Hey, my name is Matt from the Ski Patrol. I'm here to help you. What's your name? And he looked at me like that was the hardest question in the world to answer.
1: Yeah.
0: And I went, okay. <laughs> All right. And I explained to him what was going to happen and uh, the same questions. What happened? Why am I hurt? Who are you? What are we doing? You know, what what's happening? And it was just over. It went through the same quest set of questions about 20 times. Yeah. And I was thinking, man, this—you know—it was not getting any better, and so I was sort of, you know, escalating it and saying, "Hey, we really need to get you out of here." So we—we we were going to get some um, some fast transport um, to the nearest doctor, and we were stabilizing him in place and getting ready to get him off the snow. And just as we sort of uh, packaged him up, lifted him up, put him in a toboggan, it just so happened that day there was a there was a backcountry rescue going on where someone had sort of broken their tib fib out in the back country and the access was poor so they brought up the South yeah you know one of the one of the helicopters one of the rescue helicopters yep. and it just so happened to do a low pass right over the top of us and, and here's this poor guy he's been you know looping around and you know he's had this pretty bad accident he's got a bit of um, bit of bleeding going on in his brain and he happens to see this rescue helicopter just go <laughs> right in his head. And the first different question he asked me, he just looked me right in the eyes and he goes, is that for me? And I'm like, no, mate, it's not for you. It's all good. You know, I'm just <laughs> like, oh, good. He's re- something other than what's going on? Who are you? Why am I here? And yeah. I just, re- it stuck out to me so, so much because, I mean, I know that everybody that, you know, we were we were pretty close to a whole bunch of um, chairlifts. So, you yeah, know, we had probably in the time I was, Picking him up off the snow, we had several hundred people go past us and sort of staring at us, going, "Oh my god, that looks really serious." And next thing you know, a helicopter's flying through really low, and everyone's thinking, "Oh wow, you know, <laughs> people just blow everything out of proportion." Um, but yeah, I just from I remember those people all the time. That um, you know, there's uh, probably I wouldn't um, I wouldn't be downplaying it if I've been to you know. Um, more than a few thousand incidents over that time, you know, being, being either the first responder or responding to one of my colleagues with equipment or, you know, going, looking for somebody. And it's amazing how, how many of those you remember over that time.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's it. And, and as you, as you touched on before, um, for, um, and I, I, I know that you and I have spoken about it before that it, it it's never the, it's never the, um, the the traumatic incidents that that necessarily stick with you or although they they do have a tendency of having a lingering presence it's more the um, the, the emotional ones that um, for, for me takes takes its toll um, look I, I wouldn't say uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily say on my on my mental health but they they do weigh a lot heavier than um, than like a, a, a traumatic or a, or a graphic sort of uh incident
0: yeah yeah i don't um to be honest with you i don't actually remember um much of the much of the trauma like ski patrollers see a lot of trauma people people break themselves every which way you can think of mm-hmm. and uh you know you've seen 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 the bones and the dislocations and the bleeds and the you know things facing the directions they shouldn't um,
1: <laughs> See, it's not seen uh, seen more than enough.
0: Yeah, that, and it's funny that, like, when you ask the question, like, what do you remember? I actually don't remember a lot of that. Um, the stuff that really sticks with me is the is the emotional stuff, and it specifically revolves around my colleagues. Mm. Um, I remember voices. I remember. Um, radio calls that were made by people that I work quite closely with where I heard the change in their voice mm. that was sort of signaling saying hey this is really bad and I really need your help yeah. um, or you know this is um, this is really stressing me out um, you know I, I've i heard it enough times to know that you know you don't even have to be there and you hear it and you're like oh this is yeah, that's not good they're having a really having a tough time right now and it's um it's been probably the one thing that has kept me going through all of that time is um you know the last sort of fifteen years working in those sort of roles is that there is a real um there's a very raw human connection that happens in those in those times um and it leaves that really you know that that emotional like that chemical marker in your brain it's it's there like really, really like it's entrenched mm. and understanding it and being okay to engage with it has been something that um, I, you know, enjoyment's not the right word. I, It's, but it's something I find is like, it's incredibly human. And it's, um, it's something that, you know, when I, when I talked with, um, you know, my rescue teams or, you know, training ski patrollers or, or even first aiders, like you see it with people that have had experiences and, the one thing they kind of want to know when they look at you and bring these experiences up, because they're usually quite raw for people is that they they want to know that it's okay. They want to know that, Hey, did I do the right thing or Mm. did I, was this, was this emotion wrong? You're going, no, this is just, this is how humans react to stuff. Like we we're all going to react so differently, you know, depending on how, how we are at the time and what we see and what we smell and what we hear. And, you know, what sort of stuff goes on around us. And we all have these different recollections of what, what actually happened. But the biggest thing, that raw emotion, like it's a it's a really powerful thing to actually engage with. And it um, it's probably the one thing that has kept me going through a lot of this stuff is, you know, people get, you know, they get addicted to things like the, you know, your average fiery, like we were talking about this just the other day. The average fiery, is about five years old. Mm. You know, we're saying, you know, <laughs> we're saying at the moment, like we can't go and do school visits to do, you know, fire education at the moment because of the restrictions. Yep. And the sad part is we're going, well, that's actually the people that are missing out are those kids. Yeah. But we're also missing out because we like interacting with those kids. You know, like if you you know, the five year old that likes waving at the fire truck when it drives down the street. The is in the truck are the same kid. Yep. They just happen to be 20, 30, 40 years older. Oh,
1: God, yes. Yeah. I
0: get to put on a professional face and stick a uniform on and go, oh, no, I'm here to do a job. But inside, we're all still five. That's it. We're like, yeah, I get to go and ride in a fire truck. This is awesome. And <laughs> the ski patrolling thing was the same thing. It was this, yeah, I get to go and do this. This is fun. And it sort of offsets that whole – Hey, this gets really serious really quickly sometimes That's and right. it's perfectly okay to be that way, you know, and to acknowledge that. Um, it gets, it does get the better of people, you know, over time. Um, but it's gotta be something that gets acknowledged. Otherwise, you know, it sort of eats you up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, uh, for me, um, it's, it's, it's been quite rare, um, in the past, but, um, some of the some of the bigger or more serious jobs that that I've been to, and I've been sitting left seat or something like that. Um, sometimes just a simple phone call from someone um, superior if, uh, to you, just going, you know, I've 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 been listening to you on radio. I've I've been you know listening to the trans like what, reading the transcripts, and and you did everything right. Like don't yeah. don't stress about it. You did absolutely everything right. Um, and and as you're saying. Um, it it took me a very very long time, um, and, and thankfully I'd sort of I'd been exposed uh, much like you to the to the first responder emergency service life and and uh, emotional mentality long before I joined my current organisation. Um, mm. In that everyone's response to something traumatic, whether or not that 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 be emotional or you know physical, is different. Um, there are some. There are some very, very wrong ways to handle that, um, but as far as um, you know, th- there's no one right way to 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 deal with that that emotional stress. Um, and um, yeah, so it's um, it's it's been it's been extremely um, it, it's it's been extremely good uh, meeting people you know like yourself and um, and Jim and um, lots and lots of other firefighters. And not only, um, you know, it's, it's such, a, um, uh, such a broad um, background, like no, no two people are the same, even though you and I are very, very similar. Um, but how we all deal with it is also, I find quite interesting. And I, um, I, I, I also use, um, use people's experiences, um, you know, how, how they deal with it, not necessarily the experience themselves, but how they, how they deal with it afterwards. To help me deal with it as well.
0: Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's a, there's two parts I I see that, you know, there's the, some people don't like talking about it because it becomes too raw. Um, Uh You know, I've still got colleagues that I've been on jobs with, which, I mean, the one that really sticks out for me was a, it's probably, it's over, it's over a decade ago now where um, I went to a, uh, a fatal ski accident. I went it was just a really unlucky um unfortunate time in my career where there was just there was a little bit of a run of or, you know sort of term skier versus tree mm. incident. Yeah. You know, the, the trees always win there. They're hard and movable mm-hmm. quite typically and um yeah if you it's like a little, little bit like having a car accident without a car sometimes. Yeah. Um it's it doesn't happen all that often. Um, statistically speaking it's actually you know it's a really safe sport but you know if you've got you've got several thousand people doing this same activity every single day it's a lot like people driving in you know driving in Sydney there's someone's gonna have a car accident just by <laughs> pure
1: statistics,
0: that's right um, it's not gonna happen. and skiing sort of the same way but people that like the risk of the sport is actually why people will do it mm-hmm. yeah you know, it's a same people like to drive fast. It's the same reason why people like to, you know, get in their airplane, go flying, or whatever it is, is, you know, risk is what brings the reward to, you know, your life mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of people. And, you know, this particular incident where it left such a mark on so many of us, like it was a really, like, could talk about an emotional experience, like it was just raw, absolutely raw, you know, because we basically uh, witnessed the, you know, the aftermath and the, you know, the attempted resuscitation of someone who was way younger than us.
1: Yeah.
0: And, you know, there's that fundamental thing where your brain just goes, this is wrong, this shouldn't happen. Yeah. Why am I here? Uh, And I've, I had to, it took me, like I was pretty honest, it took me like a good solid 10 years to be like comfortable with that day. Yeah you know to to be open like i always talked about it but i was never comfortable with it and yeah it took me about 10 years to be comfortable with it and it was only because i didn't know how to deal with it because i hadn't spoken to the right person yet
1: yeah yep.
0: and it you know it was the sort of thing that sort of it never stopped me but the biggest empowering bit i got out of it was like so many things went wrong that day and I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. Like those of those people that know me, it's like, oh, I've got to get stuff right. Yeah. And this was my like aha movement where, you know, I didn't get things right on that day and it wouldn't have changed the outcome. But I used to beat myself up about it because I thought, well, maybe if I did that, maybe if I did that, it would have been different. Yeah. And I know deep down it never would have changed anything. But I thought, well, maybe if I'm going to be a bit better, like it pushed me to, to learn more and to, you know, to train harder and do all those sort of things. But what it left is this, you know, over time it left this mark to say that, you know what, like you just, you need to give it your best, but when, when your best isn't good enough or when it's not, it's not the right uh, set of attributes to bring to a scene, Hmm. it's not your fault. Yep. And, that's that's reality and you know I had to grow up to learn that like it was a really hard thing to learn but it was something that um when I finally went you know what I'm good I'm good with this and I know why now um it was empowering and I actually felt bad for the the people that still couldn't talk about it yeah um and it's sort of the thing where I go hey you know like if you I'd be the first one to call up one of my colleagues just to sort of check up and go, hey, are you, are you actually doing okay? Because, you know, like that's um, – that was a pretty rough day. And it actually got to the point with quite a few of my um, friends and colleagues where you wouldn't even have to call them. You just – you know, you just make a – it might just be a, a beer in the locker room or a knowing glance like, hey, it's all good. Like, that sucks. Um I'm there with you. Like if you need anything, you just ask, and if you don't need anything, then you don't have to say a word, and I'm not going to bother you about it because you, there's that um, underlying, um, underlying understanding between each, you know, between these people that just says, "Hey, it's it's cool if you want to. It's totally fine if you don't, and I'm not going to bother you about it."
1: Yeah, Yeah.
0: But if you need it, yeah, and just knowing you've got that. Option sometimes is the only thing people need.
1: That's it. I've um, I've I've been extremely lucky in that um, people like you know yourself and and Jim and and my deputy captain um, we all we all de- deal with uh, emotionally uh, emotional or um, um, uh, emotionally emotional or traumatic experiences the same which is um, we we tend to de- like we we literally debrief ourselves about it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we discuss it and we, we, we go through the entire incident from the start to the finish um, and we'll, we'll go through absolutely everything that we did and then we'll go over and do it again and do it again and, and, and yeah. pull it apart and analyse it and all that sort of stuff and that's, you know, for, for some people that's not the right way to do it um, but for us that is that is the right way to do it that's that's how we deal with it and uh, I'm, I'm very, very glad and thankful um, I know I um, uh, I, I had a pretty rough call a couple of months ago and uh, both yourself and Jim and um, and my deputy captain and you know the the organization like certain people in the organization like it was it was on the phone like from, from the time that we code forward um, and and for the first, sorry for those people that don't know what uh, what what the code for is <laughs> means it means <laughs> it, it, yeah it basically means that you're available to respond you're you're done with the incident and you're available to respond so we we had finished at the job and by from the time that we had code four to the time we um got back to the station which is code five in our organization um there was about six or seven missed calls um holy and solely because yep. i know um i know i know jim watches um like keeps keeps track of tracks of our jobs um and um and and knows that you know if we go to a to a bad incident like he will be one of the first people to call and Uh, at, at that particular time we had a relieving duty commander. Um, and yeah, there was about three missed calls from him. Um, and and this was pretty late at night as well. So there was about three or four missed calls from him. Um, the comms operators, um, a few of them had called the station and, uh, called my phone as well and all that sort of stuff. So there was, there was a lot of missed calls and there was, there was a lot to process and, and to deal with from that job. But, um, you know, it was just, it was really nice to see, um, that support network um in in motion and if if anything like o- obviously that support network helped me deal with it um and helped me be okay with it but if anything it it also enabled me to be that support network for the two other firefighters that were at the job um and and mm. me being in that position that's that's ridiculously important so by having that support network i was able to do my job super effectively
0: yep yep it's a uh, yeah that being being able to help others in that situation is actually it's it's a really nice thing and but I think like you've just mentioned it there, you, it's not always the right thing for everybody um, and being aware of that is actually is actually a really good thing. Mm. you know give someone the option, but saying, you know like uh, we've had you know we've had similar experiences or you know'm I'm, I'm happy just to listen.
1: The opinions or views expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the host or guest and do not represent those of the people, institutions or organisations that the host or guest may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organisation, company or individual.